mean? Before we do that, something that I will do periodically is when there are things happening that garner a lot of attention in the outside world. We never speak politics from the pulpit, but it's important that we remember when things get kind of crazy outside, we come inside to remember what it is we believe and what it is we stand for and who we are as a people. And so we don't talk politics. We live in a democracy, but we serve a king, right? So as we do that, I want to affirm you today because there is a lot of things swirling outside and it is a, a really kind of difficult climate for a lot of people. So I want to affirm that this is a church that speaks for the um, unprotected, that speaks for the vulnerable, that speaks for those who don't have a voice. And so this is a church that for the unborn, this church stands up, supports the Bowling Green Pregnancy Center, and makes sure that the voiceless unborn have a voice. And so I want to say, well done, keep doing that. For children in our community who don't have a home or a family through no fault of their own, this community stands up, steps in, and says, we will provide family. We do that through open homes, through foster and adopt, and I want to say, well done, keep doing it. For immigrants in our community, we stand up and we step up, and we do that through global connections, and we say, you may be from far away, but while you are here, we will be your home and we will be your family. And so I want to continue to say, keep doing what you're doing. Whatever happens this administration, that administration, past ones, future ones, that stuff's all going to happen. Our job is to serve our king and our job is to do what we've been called to do, which is to fight oppression, speak for the voiceless, break the chains, work for racial reconciliation, work for those who are suppressed and oppressed, and do so for the glory of God. And so that's what we do. Whether you vote left, you vote right, doesn't matter. We can all work on behalf of Jesus because we have one king, and that is the um, government under which we ultimately sit. And so I want to affirm you, this church is doing it. Keep doing it. Enjoy that. Be affirmed in that and feel good about that. Because while the world argues on Facebook about what's right or wrong, we're just going to keep doing the work, okay? Amen? Today we talk about cultivating worship. Easy segue right there. No big deal. What is true worship? True worship in our relationship with God, true worship with each other. What are the traps that keep us from being a worshipful people? How do we live in harmony with each other? This is an interesting message for me to preach about worship because I am, whether you know it or not, I'm an experienced worship leader. While we were missionaries in South Africa, uh, my wife, who is playing the keys and singing and very good at all that, she led the worship band in our South African church. She needed an acoustic guitar player. Naturally, with all of my innate talent, she tapped me and I learned the acoustic guitar. I played faithfully in her band. We were very good together, quite a team. She was never frustrated by my inability to know what anything musical is, but nonetheless, it was very good. One week, she got the flu. She was flu-bound, bed-bound. She was not getting up. You know, we thought we might lose her for a minute there, but it it all worked out. The problem with this story, though, is that on a, a Wednesday, see, we were a, it was a, an old, kind of old-school Baptist church in South Africa, and so they had Sunday morning, Sunday night, and then Wednesday night was another service. Wednesday night was a little less intense. It was kind of a prayer meeting, but there's still 40, 50, 80 people there, and every Wednesday we'd have one or two songs, and then we'd kind of break up and pray together and do what we do. She's sick. So the pastor naturally comes over to me and says, well, 
you'll just have to lead us in one or two songs. Is that okay? And I said, no big deal. I'm an experienced worship leader. Took my guitar. I knew the song I was going to play. There was one song they sang every single week. I was like, all I got to do is start them. I could just walk off the stage. They'll finish. I put my chair down in the middle of the stage. I start playing the first chord. I'm like, this is going to be awesome. I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm seeing whatever your rock star of choice is. I'm like Bono on stage, you know. I'm just like, oh, this is going to be so choice. I sing out that first line. And in my head somewhere, as I start singing, I go, man, I'm, I'm not really sure I've ever sang in public. I don't, I don't know if that's the right key, pitch. How do you say this? I don't know. I opened my eyes for my own moment of incredible, intense, beautiful worship to see the people's faces. <laughs> I mean, it was not good, right? And they, they were trying. They were trying to sing with me, and it, it really wasn't going well. And I didn't know what to do, so I just kept going. You know, I'm just powering through this thing. I'm like, we are going to be awesome. You know, it's going to be great. I'm about 40, 50 seconds into the song. And I close my eyes, and I'm really letting it fly. Holy Spirit, move through me, and I feel this tap on my shoulder. And it's the pastor. He says, that'll be enough now. <laughs> Thus ended my worship career. So if, if you've ever seen an old cartoon where somebody gets the giant wooden hook pulled out, this is basically exactly what happened. I was told, that's enough. Please never do that again we'll move on. So what qualifies me to talk about worship? I'm so glad you asked. We're going to talk about Romans uh, chapter 12 today. So Romans chapter 12, it'll be on the screens here for you to see. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to talk about it. Romans 12 says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have the same function, so we in Christ, though many... We form one body. Each member belongs to the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, give generously. If it's to lead, then do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Live in harmony, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. I'd never previously read this passage as a passage about worship. I'd read it as some sort of sacrificial thing. Maybe how do we live as a community together? But, but in looking at it this week, it, it really, over and over and again, it's about worship. 
It says right there, this is your true and proper worship, and then it goes and lays out what does it mean to live a life of true and proper worship. It talks about our bodies as living sacrifices, so there's this physical aspect. What you do is worship. Immediately in verse 2, lest we think that it's just about what we do, it switches and it says to be conformed, don't be conformed to the world, but by the renewing of your mind. So what you think, what you think is worship. And then verse 3 through 10, lest we think it's just about us, talks about community life being worship, using your gifts, serving the body, that encouragement is worship, that giving generously is worship. It's all worship. At Covenant Church, we say we are about cultivating worship. This is not a statement about our, our musical Sunday experience. It's our belief that a core practice of every believer is that they are growing more worshipful in every aspect of their lives. Because worship, as you've probably been taught before, simply means to ascribe worth. What does it mean to worship something? To ascribe worth to it. So when we sing out in worship, we are ascribing worth to our Creator God. Tim Keller said, you don't get to decide to worship. You don't get to decide. Everyone worships something. The only choice is what you worship. So, so none of us get to wake up in the morning and say, today I'll be worshipful and maybe, maybe today I won't. When you wake up, you are worshiping something with your hands, with your mind. We are always worshiping. We are always giving worth to something. Every breath is an act of worship. And so the question becomes, are you cultivating worship in every aspect of your life? And and another way to say that is, are you seeking whole life obedience according to the scripture? Are you seeking whole life obedience or is worship something that's confined to Sunday morning? Is worship something that you you maybe get to in the car on Thursday if you can find the right radio station or the kids aren't screaming or maybe, maybe I'll worship then? Or is it a whole life obedience thing? Musical worship is not designed to be satisfying in and of itself. It is a prelude to our days and our life of living sacrifice. So musical worship, while I enjoy it, I don't do it well, personally. That's why I sit in the front row so no one in front of me has to hear how bad I sing. (laughs) Musical worship is not our outlet of our love for God. It's not the outlet. It's actually the catalyst that reminds us of our love for God so that it might change the way we live. It isn't the end of itself, it's the beginning of a, a week of worship. It's a reminder, this is the love poem that God would sing over us, that we might remember what he's done for us, that we might go outside of these walls and make change in the world. Sunday music is theology, it is teaching, it is inspiration. It reminds us of the beauty of our Savior so that we might go out and live the beauty of our Savior for all to see. This is why I love that at Covenant we have kids in church for worship. Our, our musical worship time, we have kids. They sit here, I hold my daughter's hand. I love that she's in here because she's being taught how to think about God. She's being taught what it is to worship a king. And so there's theology pouring off those screens into her brain. Out of Greg's mouth comes teaching about who God is and how we are to respond to him. And I love that we keep them here for that. It's important. And so rather than diminish Sunday musical worship, I would argue that acknowledging that all of life is worship makes Sunday that much more important because it's the foundational center that represents the very song of our lives. How do we actually then worship with our Sunday at 11.30 all the way until the next Sunday at 10 a.m.? How do we worship with the other hours of our week then? 
Many people would uh, argue that you can see clearly in your time, your talent, and your treasure what you worship. It's nothing new. It's nothing I've invented. It's, uh, many people have spoken those three words in succession before, time and talent and treasure. Time always tells what you worship. Usually in our uh, society, time is, is tied to a trinket. I'm going to read from Jeremiah because I, I like to read from the prophets, but, but I think it's going to be instructive to us. Jeremiah 10 says, hear what the Lord says to you, people of Israel, but But just for a moment, maybe this applies to us. This is what the Lord says. Do not learn the ways of the nations or be terrified by signs in the heavens, though the nations are terrified by them. For the practices of the people are worthless. They cut a tree out of the forest and a craftsman shapes it with his chisel and they adorn it with silver and gold and they fasten it with a hammer and nail so it will not totter. Like a scarecrow in a cucumber field, their idols cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them. The word for fear is have reverential awe. They can do no harm, nor can they do any good. No one is like you, Lord. You are great, and your name is mighty in power. Who should not fear you, king of all nations? This is your due. Among all the wise leaders of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is no one like you. They are all senseless and foolish, and they are taught by worthless wooden idols. Jeremiah is going all in on the people right here. Like, he's not holding back. And yet I look at our society... And we are fraught with idols. So when I ask the question, how do you spend your time? They're easy, big buckets. Well, I have to work because my family needs to eat. And then I come to church. I do some of that. And my family and, you know, a little bit of diversion. What's the big deal? An idol is anything we look to for salvation or security other than God. So it, it's anything we place above God in any given time. And so Jeremiah is talking about they take a tree and they carve it up and they make a thing and they post it and then it's got gold on it. And so people worship that thing. And we're like, well, that's not us. Do you know the average American, the average American opens their smartphone 122 times a day. And there are plenty of people in this room that like, I do it like 10. And so that means there's other people in this room that are on like two or 300 times a day. We are swiping that thing open. Did I get a message? What do you think the weather's like right now? Some of you are on it now. Like, I'll look out, chief of sinners, okay? I look out the window, and it's like, it's like snow flurries outside, out of my office window. And I will pick up my phone and open it to check the weather. <laughs> I wonder if it says it's, it's snowing, because if it doesn't, then what am I doing? We're totally idiots at this stuff. But it's what we do. We, we are absorbed in all of these other little things. And so while we don't take trees and carve them and put silver and gold and then post it up for all to see, and there's still this man-made trinket that sits in my pocket or sits on my desk that throughout the day is saying, look at me, talk to me, worship me, give me your time, give me your attention. It isn't the phone that we worship either. It's not the internet that we worship. It's not the tablet we worship. It's what's inside of it. So we worship at the altar of sports. Got to check the score because that changes it, right? If you know what the score is, like when you're at dinner with your family and you got to check the score, well, you know, if you didn't check it, what would happen? Come on, LeBron, make that free throw. Like he doesn't care that you're having dinner and checking the score. We worship at the altar of status. Got to see if anybody's liked that thing I put up four hours ago. Just got to make sure. And if they did... A little dopamine release, a little chemical love for you. And then a little disappointment because the next time, 
fallen out of their feeds. They're not going to see it. We worship at the altar of shopping. I got this app on my phone. It, it tells me when there's a good deal on that thing I don't need, but still. Ultimately, we're worshiping at the, at the altar of self, right? This is a little, uh, a smartphone is just a mirror that we place all of our stuff in, and then it talks back to us about how important we might be. When you want something more than anything else, or when you think about something more than anything else, there's a word for that. We call that God. And each of us at various points in our lives and various seasons along our faith journey have different gods. We aspire to have one God, and yet there are times when we'll look up and be like, gosh, you know what? Work has been my God for the last three months. It's the thing I wake up thinking about. It's the thing I go to bed thinking about. It's the thing I wake up at 2 a.m. with heartburn thinking about. I've had that season. There are times that family is our God. There are times that church is our God. And I love that line, just a scarecrow in the cucumber field. That's beautiful. That's the worth of these things that are made, these temporary things that we run across in life. It's a, it's a scarecrow in a cucumber field. We dress it up so it looks real, but it has no life. We ascribe worth to something with every moment of our lives, and here's the deal. They're not all bad things. As we're ascribing worth, as we're worshiping at all these various altars, they're not all bad things. If anyone's ever read C.S. Lewis's masterful tale of screw tape letters, if you haven't, you should. It's quick, it's easy, and it blows your mind as the way that um, forces are working in this world. But in it, uh, the character representing Satan basically says the best false gods, the best things to get the Christians off of their course, they're not the things that they would seek to avoid addictions or or organized crime or like it's not these big bucket things that are obviously evil and say the best false gods are are good things that they allow to become god things and so a church begins to argue about the style of worship on a sunday morning and all of a sudden they're not talking about god anymore i've had somebody come up to me after a church service in texas when i preached and i thought i did a pretty good job and he came up and shook my hand, as people often do, and he said, can I tell you something? And I was like, bring on the adulation, buddy. And he said, I think it's incredibly disrespectful that your shirt is untucked. I can tell you didn't shave this morning, and I think God is ashamed of you. I will not be coming back. And he left. And I said, we'll miss you. Because his wires were all crossed. He had gotten into a place where he considered these other things to be supreme. And it, it, it totally confused, and confused his whole idea of who God was and what he was supposed to be doing with his life. And so he became the fashion police of church. He literally saw me up close and said, I can tell you didn't shave this morning. I said, yeah, I shaved last night. And he's like, that's shameful. And screw tape letters would say, these are the things that get us off track. They're not actually like important things. Some of them are silly. Some of them are actually good things. Have a man become too involved in his charity so that he thinks that the charity is the salvation and not the God who he does the charity for. And they're tiny little nuanced turns of the knobs of our life that go, 
in this one moment, we're about God, and one degree over, we're about ourselves, and we didn't even realize it. The things that take our worship from where they're supposed to be are whispers behind the backs of friends. They're casually unreconciled relationships that everybody's kind of okay just leaving the way they are. Uh, This is esoteric to you if you're going, well, this is all kind of hard to grasp, but this doesn't apply to me directly. Let me apply it to me directly. I love to read. If I am somewhere and I have time to read, I will read. If I can't read, I'm driving, I'm doing the dishes, I will listen to a podcast, which to me is like someone reading to me. Sometimes I say I don't have enough smart friends, and so I listen to them on these podcasts, and they'll tell me smart things. No offense. And if I'm not careful, that becomes an idol for me. The intake of all of this information. And you would say, but reading is not wrong. Heck, 90% of the stuff you're reading is related to making Jesus more known. Yeah, reading is not my idol, but knowledge is. This idea that somewhere within me, that if I gain enough knowledge, if I just get a little smarter, if I just know a little bit more, then, then somehow I might, be, I might be safe or I might be secure in that pursuit. And then somewhere it hits me, knowledge can't save me. And God doesn't want me to read another book more than he wants me to get on my knees and pray in the morning and communicate with him and know him directly. The illusions we live under is that these little things, even these good things, make us more secure or they make us safe or they make us whole. Like if Facebook scrolling fills your free time, I doubt you actually worship Facebook. But connection or sense of importance or you're searching for significance, or you desire inclusion, those are the things that your heart is yearning for, and you've you're just found an outlet that'll give it to you. So that's our time. How do we spend our time? Scripture moves on into talent and treasure from verse 3 to 10. It's really remarkably practical how, how Paul just dives straight into this. In the context of true and proper worship, Paul says, you are highly gifted. And so your living context, your living sacrifice in the context of the church is using your gifts. So are you hospitable? You have a warm smile, a firm handshake. Do you have trouble not talking to some stranger when you see them? Are you one of those people? My wife is one of those people. Sometimes you're scary. You're hospitable. It's a gift. That you look someone in the eye and you say, I'm so glad you're here. That's hospitality. When people come to your house, do they feel like it's their house the second they walk in? The Bible says that's a gift. And when you use that gift, that's worship. So hospitality is worship. Greeting someone at the church doors, that's worship. Are you a natural encourager? You find it really easy, even like fun, to write a handwritten note to somebody who's in need in a season of, of hurt. Do you uh, think about what gift you could buy somebody who's going through something? Or do you think about if you could send a text to one or two people a day just to, just to make them feel good? You have the gift of encouragement. And the Bible says that encouragement is worship. So encourage people. Are you a craftsman? Do you have uh, tools that you actually know how to use? I I have tools. There's a doorstop, those two doors that go out of the sanctuary. On the, on the right, the one has a nice doorstop. The one on the left, the doorstop broke like four months ago, the little doorstop. I knew it broke, 
I took it and I said, I'll fix this. I'm not going to fix it. It would take me like six weeks, $300 in tools, and 12 trips to the hardware store getting the right tools, and it would still kind of not work. It's not my gift. But there's someone in this church who goes, yeah, I'm kind of handy. Serving in such a way is worship, it says in Romans 12. That fixing the doorstop at the church is worshipful. It's, a, it's using your time and your talent to make it that much easier for someone to get in and hear the word of God. Are you blessed with resources? Are you generous by nature? Then giving is worship. You ever leave church and go, I just didn't feel like, uh, I didn't feel like the worship was really there today, or I, didn't, I didn't really, wasn't really feeling it. I didn't really like the worship. You'll have to rethink that now. That may mean you didn't like how much was given into the black boxes on the wall, or it may mean you didn't like that um, somebody who was obviously hospitable wasn't shaking hands at the door. You, you may mean all kinds of different things if you think that worship is something bigger than just singing. I didn't really care for worship today. We can't say that. Because it is a whole life thing that we're involved in. Scripture says that true worship is not just enjoined voices but in shared gifts and sacrificed lives. True worship is not just in joined voices, but in shared gifts and sacrificed lives. You don't want me leading musical worship. That's established. But can I serve you in some way that would honor God and that would improve your life? Can I write you a card to tell you to hang in there? I can do that. And so I will do that. And the question becomes, what will you do? How will your life become a sacrifice so that those around you are encouraged to know the king? Verse 16 of our, of our um, passage today says, live in harmony. I love that, that Paul uses this word, live in harmony, because we're saying it's not about music, it's not about music, it's not about music, it's not about music. Oh yeah, and live in harmony. I had to ask somebody what that meant, because I'm not good at it, but we all know what a harmony is. Greg sings the melody, and Steph sings the harmony. And if you just heard her, you'd be like, that, that didn't sound like that song. Here's the beautiful thing about a harmony. A harmony is to the melody as a servant is to the master. The harmony is willful subjugation to something else. It's a willful subjugation to the melody. So when the melody is singing here, the harmony exists only to fill in and complement the melody. And so if we are to live in harmony with one another, to take this and stretch it out a little bit, that means that we are to live in willful subjugation to one another. Meaning that I am to look at you and your gifts and I'm to find out how can I complement your gifts? How can I come alongside them? How can I fill in the gaps? How can I be the harmony to your melody? Ultimately knowing that what we're trying to do together is make God known. When we use our gifts and we seek him first, we add eternal harmonies to God's incredible song of salvation. Because there are times, and it's not in music, it's in life, when somebody goes, why are you doing that? Ken, why are you having Iraqi people into your home? Like that, that doesn't, we don't get it. Ken's singing a harmony. And the melody is God is saying, I love my created children. Open your doors to them. 
And Ken just goes, I know it doesn't sound normal when you just hear it by itself, but if you could hear the melody being sung by my father, you would know. When a family here takes in a child that doesn't have a family, people on the outside go, what? why would they do that? That seems like a lot of work. And that family, even though it's a lot of work, says, if you could hear the melody my father sings, you would know that this is in perfect harmony with him. When a covenant church member is waiting inside the front doors of the pregnancy center, and a young woman walks in not knowing what she wants to do with what she just found out has happened to her, and a member of the church says, listen, you have choices. And God has created a life, and we want to do anything we can to help you save that life, even if that means one of our families in our church will steward that life once that life is out here in the world with us. And the person goes, why would you give your time? Why would you offer such incredible things to me? And the church member, the volunteer, says, if you could hear the melody my God has sung through Scripture, you would know that I'm simply adding a harmony to his incredible work and his majesty. Ethical behavior without joy-filled worship or exuberant praise without whole life obedience, both are counterfeit Christianities. The challenge for us is to live in whole life obedience and then to find where our voice is. If you're an encourager, encourage. If you're a craftsman, then serve. If you're a generous giver, then give with joy. And when we find that spot to do so in such a way that the world goes, that doesn't make a ton of sense to me, and we sit back and go, I am singing the harmony to the incredible melody of the salvation offered to me through Jesus Christ. So today you get the fun opportunity to audit your time. Only you know your thoughts. Only you know what you are obsessed over at the moment. Does your time worship God? You can audit your treasure. Only you know if you're generous. Years ago, we used to say the checkbook doesn't lie, but no one has checkbooks anymore, really, so the debit card statement doesn't lie. Can we say that? Only you know if you're generous within the means that God has given you. But are you, are you worshipful with your treasures? Only you can audit your talent. Are you serving the body? Are you serving with the gifts that God has given you? One of the beautiful things about Covenant Church is that it breaks so many of the norms of church. People, it's a really common generalization that in church, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Everybody would say that. You talk to pastors up and down the line, you would hear that a thousand times. Oh, well, 20% of the church does 80% of the work. Everybody else just fills the seat. It's not true here. This is an incredibly active, missional, incredible community. And so as an encouragement to you, because God has given me the gift of encouragement, I want to say, if you are serving, if you are using your gifts, if you are worshiping God with your life, know that it's seen and recognized and it is appreciated and it is essential to who we are. And if you're not, know that there is no better time to get started than today. If there's no judgment on days past, there's only hope and opportunity for days future. And so we've made this super easy. 
because I can't decide whether or not you're generous with your treasure. I can't decide what you spend your time on, but I can obviously offer you a place to use your talent. And so on that same info table, right out those doors to the right, there's three sheets for three areas of ministry that we have um, some infrastructure built up. We could take you immediately if you wanted to serve. If you want to help in the kids area, we got needs. We would love to let you rock a baby or teach the Bible to a five-year-old. We would love that. If you're good with kids, you're wired that way, you can put your name on that list and we'll call you. We have a hospitality page out there because there are a bunch of people in here that are hospitable and we could always use more people to hold a door, to shake a hand next to me inside of these doors, hand out a bulletin, maybe stand up here and pray with people. Write your name on hospitality. Say, you know what? I got that gift. I could do that once a month. And then we have a serving team that we started last month that can appeal to you. And we had 10 people sign up immediately. Are you, are you a craftsman? Are you handy? Would you be willing, if the door stopper on the church were broken, hypothetically, would you be willing to fix that? Or if all the chairs need to get moved out because we're getting the carpets cleaned, would you be willing to come up for 30 minutes and help us move the ch- That's all that is. There's a sign up for that. So there's three sheets. Ultimately, I don't want to resolve this for you in giving you sheets to sign up on. I want to challenge you to think deeply about what it is you do with your life because we get one. And it is fleeting, and yet God has valued it so much that he gave his son for us that we might live a life that is radically beautiful as it speaks to the salvation we have earned through him alone. Okay? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We recognize that it was all you in setting us free. That it was his life, his perfect life, as a stand-in for our life, which, as hard as we try, is soiled and stained. It was his perfect life and his death on the cross in our place that erased our penalty that reconciled us to you, that it is his resurrection that opened up the gates to eternity for us with you. Father, I pray that we would be a people about reconciliation, that we would be a people about reconciling with each other, that we would reconcile with you, and that we would reconcile our time and our talent and our treasure. We would audit it and take stock. And in doing so, we would have ourselves in a position that tomorrow would be more worshipful than today and next week more worshipful than that. And that years from now, we would look back, not with shame about the opportunities missed, but with joy, with a life lived in fullness, a life of gratitude for what you've done for us. So Father, we say thank you. Stir our hearts. Bring us to yourself. In Jesus' name. Amen. We continue with uh, communion.